Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for the final day of the month of February, the year 2022. As the Flyers will be back in action coming up tomorrow when they face Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers, who just lost yesterday 2-1 to one against the Carolina Hurricanes, who won their fifth straight game. Flyers and Oilers coming up tomorrow night at Wells Fargo Center, and that'll kick off the second half of this eight-game homestand, four games in the books. Flyers coming off a win, of course, 2-1 over the Washington Capitals. And they'll also start out the month of March with the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night as well. Also, tomorrow's episode, you'll get to hear the conversation I was able to have with Flyers Director of Analytics, Ian Anderson. We talked about a lot of different elements of analytics in pro sports, what led Ian to analytics in sports. Also, uh, how public analytics and team analytics may differ. We don't get into specifics on players and nothing proprietary for obvious reasons, but uh, I think if everybody will find the conversation incredibly educational, I know I did. I'm not a huge analytics guy. I don't understand it to the level of some people or many people, but uh, I found it to be incredibly insightful and very educational, and uh, I hope you guys will check that out coming up tomorrow. But in this episode, as we do on every Monday throughout the season, it is Bill Meltzer Day, and he joins us right now. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and NHL.com. It is Bill Meltzer for his weekly visit. Bill, how you doing? Doing well. Always uh, always nice after a win. Forgot what those felt like. <laughs> it feels so different. You know, when you're in this kind of season, it feels so different to, to be coming off a win. And, Bill, as I term the, the win that they got over Washington, it was, you know, it's a tight 2-1 hockey game. They've actually won their fair share of those this year. But it was a well-earned win. I, it, it really was, you know. Um, I would have liked to have seen them attack a little bit more over the second 30 minutes of the game. But uh, one thing you can say is that they defended well. They certainly got good saves from Carter whenever they needed one. And uh, you know, Flyers dominated that first period. Not, mm-hmm. you know, not, not just the Giroux goal 11 seconds in, but the Flyers were – you know, first on every puck, they were, they were, um, you know, they were, they were turning defense into offense. They were skating well. They were breaking out well. I mean, all, all the things that, that really have not been there for large parts of the season. And, I mean, truthfully, over the last five games, the Flyers have played pretty well. There's only the one win to show for it. Um, you know, I, I think getting some players back in the lineup, especially Farabee, certainly, certainly helped towards that. So you're a little deeper in your lineup. But, uh you know, it was, uh, you know, you, in the big picture, it doesn't change anything. But in the little picture, it, it does show you some of what they've been missing and, and what they haven't been able to do enough during the season. Bill, I thought the Broussard line was incredibly good, too, especially they had three shifts in the beginning of that second period. The first seven minutes of that second period, you knew you were going to get some pushback, but it was odd because the Flyers dominated the puck. They didn't get a lot of shots. Yeah. But they did the one thing that they've talked about so much. They did the opposite of it. They they always say we're we're defending too much. We don't own the puck in the offensive zone enough. In the yeah. first seven minutes of the second period, they owned it. They For looked sure. like the, yeah. the teams playing against them so much of this season in the first first period and the first part of that second period. Right. Yeah. That, that's what I was saying. The, the the latter thirty minutes of the game. Yeah. It was, it was after it was after the uh, power play goal. 
by by Washington. The Flyers really got back in their skates, and they, yeah, you know, a lot of that other kind of stuff creeped back in. Although, you know, although they really kept a lot of the play of the perimeter, I, yeah. I thought that they defended really well, and as you were saying, just defending too much. But uh, yeah, for the going on the going on the start of the second period, it was just kind of a continuation of the first. And had had they just gotten right back on the horse and you know play the way they had been playing, because it was. You know, you were still winning two to one. It would have been, uh, you know, would have been ideal. But yeah, I thought the Flyers came out well in the second period. As you know, in addition, I mean, the Flyers got contributions from, you know, some good shifts, some quality shifts from different parts of the lineup. Um, you know, fantastic game for from Ristolainen and also also Sandheim. Really, that's that's been the Flyers' most reliable pairing lately, anyway. Mm-hmm. So that uh, you know, I, I I think it speaks to. You know the the fact that in, against certain certain games, Ristolainen seems to dial it up another level. Um, usually against the the better opponents in the league, and you know I I think that's why he's a he's a sought after commodity heading towards the deadline. But um, yeah, I mean there there are there are a lot of things there are a lot of good things just in terms of another step towards playing the right way, win, win or lose. Because you know we've we've talked about. We've talked about that the playoffs are, are not happening, and you know, the Flyers are under no illusion that the playoffs are are any kind of realistic possibility. They couldn't they couldn't go on that kind of a run, but you but you do want to at least play the right way and, and feel like you're heading in the right direction, whether you're winning or you're losing. That's why you know so kind of in that recent stretch, the wins weren't there, but they they were playing better. Yeah, and I, I'm so glad you brought up the point about Ristolainen. and. I thought that he checked every box of what he needs to bring the t- to the table on his A game. So, for example, you know, the, the second goal that they score late in the period on the Atkinson goal, it's a big physical play down low, and then he stretches the ice to get the two-on-one, and they get yeah. the goal. But, but we've talked about key segments in games a ton. So let me give you these two scenarios because, you know, I think 10 days, two weeks ago, these would have been the scenarios where they would have lost the game. You score 11 seconds in, the quickest goal they've scored to start a game in 33 years since 89, I had hair, uh, right? Giroux gets the goal, and then not even 30 seconds into the game, they're on the penalty kill. And I know Washington's penalty kill is 26 coming into the game, but they didn't have Oshie for a lot. They didn't have Backstrom. They didn't have the full complement. They did yesterday in the yeah. game against the Flyers. And that would be a normal spot. Just a couple weeks ago, they'd have given up a goal. That game would have been tied. And then, yep. Then late in the period, you have the McEwen Tom Wilson scrap. McEwen gets the extra two. They kill the penalty again, you know, killing off a power play from Washington and Ovechkin. And then they score thereafter. Those are the two key segments, is which is why I think that game is full value for the win. No, absolutely. Um, You know, Carter Hart, of course, had something to do with that too. He made three Uh saves during that first kill. Um, you know, and your goalie sometimes has to be your best penalty killer. But over the latter part of it, really, Washington didn't get a, didn't get a sniff. You know, they, the Flyers ended up killing that off with some authority. And um, you know, the, the second one, you know, you that, that's the kind of penalty you, you want to see your team step up and kill anyway. Yep. You know, I mean, it, it was McEwen standing up for himself, but it's Tom Wilson he's going after. And, you know, the, it, it gets the emotion going on the bench and the crowd, you know. Um, so that was, as you said, it was, it was a critical juncture, and and to get the get the bonus of a goal, really, really, what started is almost a broken play. 
Yeah. You know, because the the uh, pass by Lawton was tipped, but it happened to go right to, uh, you know, right to Atkinson. But um, that, that, you know, that was huge. And I'll, I'll tell you one other segment where I thought, and I was, I was truthfully concerned when the Flyers had the two-man advantage in the second period and they didn't capitalize on it where you have that chance to get the two-goal lead back. That worried me quite a bit, but the Flyers did – they really clamped down defensively the rest of that period. So, it, yeah. you know, the lead, even though it was only one goal and uh, they were they were in their own zone, you know, they, they weren't they weren't hanging by a thread. You know, they were they were def- they defending pretty well with the lead. So that, that was another segment where, you know, you don't score in that five on three. I mean, that's happened a bunch of times this year too where either that or you take a penalty and you give one up or you give up an odd man rush. You know, those that was another situation where it easily could have boomeranged on them, right? And it uh, they were able to get through it. Uh, the other thing too, you know, we you mentioned Ristolainen, you mentioned Sandholm. I thought were both really good in the game, and they've been pretty consistent as your top pair at this point. But Ivan Provorov coming off that dash for the game prior, and Ovechkin ends up without a point in the game. And while I don't think he did anything flashy, um, Provorov, I just thought he was very solid and didn't seem to force plays and just, I think he just almost simplified his game bill in the sense that he just went out and did his job, took care of the left side D position and Justin Braun did his job. And when you can control the top line of the opposition and limit them like they did in that game, they actually did it the week before as well um, against Sovechkin and the caps. Um, that's an, another re- big reason for the win, but I thought Proveroff had a good bounce back performance. He did. Um, as you said, took took care of the left side of the ice. He was very efficient. I think that's a good yep. word for his performance uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, he he got the puck up to the forwards, defended well. He didn't he didn't try to do he didn't try to make uh, plays that just weren't there. He wasn't forcing things. Um, didn't you know, over defend in a way, right? Yeah, exactly. That, that that's also yeah. I think that that's a good description of where he's running a little bit of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes also recently. And I think in I think in the, the previous game, you know, it's the the five run home run effect, right? If if he uh, if he made a mistake, he would try to much make that play, but make up for the last one. Yeah. And that, that's sometimes where defensemen get in trouble. And every defenseman, you know, they, they have their ups and downs, you know, like, like any other player. But uh, Provorov plays such a critical role, so it was it was really nice to see him have a bounce back game. Um, you know, Flyers have a another tough test coming up with Edmonton. Uh, that, that's a team that, you know, talk about throw some speed and you know, speed and ability at you. Um, they have, they have their, their share of flaws on that team too, but that's a, that's a tough assignment for any team defensively. So no, yeah. no best. Yeah, your gap control is different than any, than it is against any other opponent in the league. It's, it's just gotta, it's just gotta be a little bit more cautious in a way because you can get turnstiled so easily by that. We saw it in that first game, you know, at points Edmonton looked like they were playing a different sport, but the Flyers were bending and not breaking in that game. They ultimately came away with that 5-3 win very early in the season. It was, as a matter of fact, it was their first road game of the season. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. Game five, right? And, you know, they, they came away with that win. And let, let's talk about Carter real quick because he came back from the eye infection, Bill. And, you know, when when called upon in the game, did his job, made that spectacular glove save moving from his right to his left, lost his stick again, by the way, on that play. But that, that was one of those traffic situations. But, boy, just really calm in net and square. And I think his season has just been, you know, when you consider that 
you look at his win loss record, it's almost defies logic with how he's played because he's been really good. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Carter came out of the all-star break with a nine fifteen save percentage. And I was saying that if you put a better team defensively in front of him, a more consistently good defensive team, then, then his save percentage is up near the league leaders. It, 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 you know, it would easily be another 1% higher. You know, and, and one, one for nine twenty five at that point. Maybe nine twenty five, right? Yeah, right. And that, you know, that then you're talking about what a, you know, you're talking about uh, you know, being being at the very very top. It, it'd be very hard to be in the nine twenties with the way the Flyers have played defensively over the balance of the season. So, you know, I don't think any goalie would be doing that. Um, but you know, I, I think for Carter, his first start out of the All Star break was not one of his better games. Really, one of his Weaker games of the season against Detroit. He was not very good in that game. Uh, the other the other two starts after that were losses, but he played fine. I mean, I, you, you, I guess you can talk about the overtime goal in Pittsburgh, but really, just to get to that point was not his fault. Yeah, you know, um, and I, and you know, I think you and I discussed that on a previous podcast where, I mean, that, that was just a heck of a play by Latang on the mm-hmm. two on one because he never he never looked at the net. He had his eyes on Crosby the whole time. Yeah. So, you know, the, the whole way hard is thinking there, he's passing. So he, he got caught cheating just a little bit, just a little opened up, and he found the five hole. But, you know, but but his numbers went from 915 to 910. And, you know, it, it could be a dangerous point. We saw what happened last March, right? And I, I think that, you know, it was kind of a – it was kind of one of those games where you're – you know, could go either which way. You're playing. You're playing Washington. So for for Carter to step up, just just coming back from the eye infection, to have such a solid game, such a rock solid game, that that to me was a really really good sign. Um, you know, just to just to kind of get right back on the horse and, and get back to where he had been. So that's uh, you know, some some another positive you could take away. Yeah, I, th- I was really impressed with his rebound control and lack of rebounds that he gave up in the game. And I thought, I thought he just seemed like he was a step ahead on on reading plays the entire day too, as they developed, especially those plays where, you know, Washington likes to move the puck east west, but before they do that, they like to move it down low to the bottom of the circle with guys like Kuznetsov, Backstrom, great distributors, Oshie, and I just thought he was just on those plays reading them. Sometimes they didn't even result in a shot, but he was like in the right spot to almost deter an opportunity. So I thought he was really good in that regard. And I, I just get a sense in talking to him too. And I had a chance to talk to him on Saturday, not on the air, but um, that he's just a, a more mature and more confident kid than, than not a kid anymore, a young man um, than he has been at any point in his career. He's bounced back that well. For sure. You know, I, you know, sometimes I, I think sometimes uh, when I look at a game, whether it, whether it's a win or a loss and, you know, when it, it's it's not goalie versus goalie; it's team versus team. But sometimes I look at a performance. I go, you know, if the two goalies switch nets, right, would the outcome have still been the same? Yeah. And honestly, yesterday, because I thought Samsonov was struggling with rebounds quite a yeah. bit, yeah. and was not reading plays nearly as well as Hart was. You know, Hart was a big part of winning that game, and Hart has been a big part of keeping the Flyers in some games where. It easily could have gone sideways on them, you know. Um, it, he he hasn't had the he hasn't had the goal support. That, that's uh, that's you know that's not a not news to anybody. But but I think that uh, you know I I think when you take away what have been the positives of the season, it's really been it's really been 
you know, Hart's maturity, his ability when he does have a bad goal or a bad game to get right back on the horse and just, just his general approach, right? Just, just the mental toughness he's shown win or lose, you know, he's, he's played better than his record. And, you know, we've said this before that, uh, you know, if, if Claude Giroux is not here at the end of the season, we're voting for the Bobby Clark trophy. I, I think it's Carter Hart. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's amazing, like the, the amount of two one games. We talk about the stress that comes with a goalie in a two one game, not getting a lot of run support, and you know there's very little margin for error. Uh, they won their first two one win of the season was actually in Vancouver after that Edmonton game. That was actually Martin Jones in net for that one. Then they beat Washington in Washington two to one. Then they beat Carolina in Carolina two to one. Then on Hall of Fame night, they beat the Calgary Flames two to one. You know the amount of two one w- victories they have this season is stunning because that's a hard type of game to win, but they found a way to do it. Um, before we get to Jeff Petrie real quick and Frege's report, uh, I just saw this on Sportsnet, and I watched this clip on Sportsnet.ca, and that Blake Wheeler got into it with a reporter regarding his leadership capabilities. And Blake Wheeler's a good leader, right, out in Winnipeg. They're not having a good season. Bill, is this one of those things that the leadership of a team – when the team doesn't have success, always gets called into question, no matter where you are. Is this not geography to, specific to Philadelphia? It's, it's certainly not specific to Philadelphia. Um, you know, I, I would I would think that uh, – I, I think in certain markets, there's less pressure. Any Canadian market, any Canadian market, there's a ton of pressure, yeah. you know. But, I mean, it, it's, not, it's not specific to Philadelphia. I, I think that a lot gets put on the guy with – a lot gets put on the guy who is the designated leader is wearing the C. It's really, it's really all about the group, right? It's uh, and there's a lot of different leadership styles too. You know, I, I've always had a Blake Wheeler as a very good leader on a hockey team. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think a lot gets a lot gets made of. How much is how much is a guy an in your face kind of a leader? I mean, honestly, that that can wear thin too, you know. Yeah. So I, I I mean I I think that uh, you know I, I think that it, it that is something that'll always be and will always be in Philadelphia, you know, <laughs> for however much longer uh, Claude Giroux is here, whether it's a few more weeks or whether it's you know the rest of his career, which is not you know seems less likely at this point, but whatever, it's it's always going to be whoever has the C. You know, if that's Sean Couturier in a year, then you're going to hear the same questions if the team isn't successful. It, it, it'll always it'll always come to that guy, right? Yeah, it's like a scarlet letter. Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, uh, Elliot Friedman, he pulled a drive-by, Bill, an old-school reporter drive-by, and Fridge doesn't, you know, just put things out there that he doesn't usually have some info on. But in point number five in his 32 thoughts this week. He just put simply, I can see Philadelphia in on Canadians, Jeff Petrie. It makes a lot of sense for them. And that's all he said. Now, he made some points about Rasmus Ristolainen, and then he made some points in another another bullet point uh, on there about Claude Giroux and reaching his thousandth game and obviously all the chatter around Giroux. But when it came to Jeff Petrie, it was simply, I can see Philadelphia in on Canadians, Jeff Petrie. It makes a lot of sense for them. And at first blush, Flyer fans go, well, why are we picking – Aren't we a seller? We're not a buyer. Petrie's got three years left. He just turned 34, I think, in December. He's got a, uh, two years beyond this of contract, or maybe even three, is, is actually. 
yeah, he's up in, in he's got three years. So he's up after the 24-25 season, a cap hit of 6.25. He is a right shot defenseman. He's not having a great year. It's been miserable in Montreal. But prior to that, very good player. And if you watched the playoffs last year, you saw you see the effect that he can have on on the game on that right side. Does this does this make sense to you to be in on Petrie? Because this is more of a hockey deal because he's got term. Yeah. No, that that's just it, right? I, if Ristolainen is gone by the deadline and, and Braun is gone by the deadline, and then you know, and, and you're not going to have Ellis this season, you know, and you, you're still it's still a question mark going forward if you know Ryan Ellis can stay healthy. You're really so, you're making the whole right side in a way, right? It's, it's the whole the whole side, the whole right side, and so this is this is a guy who's proven, you know, and it's a significant amount of term, uh, and they would have to eat something or make. You know, make uh, the numbers make the numbers cancel out as much as possible. But it, to me, it makes a ton of sense. Um, just just because of the fact that he can still give you minutes. He's a he's a quality player. Um, now he now the ball's in his court though because he has a no trade or even in a full no movement. So it's up to it's up to him to set a list of where he would go. And you know, does does he want to come to the situation that's here, right? Because the the Flyers are in a situation where they're looking to come out of a really back-to-back, really rough season. So, you know, that's uh, that's another consideration. But from a Flyers standpoint, you know, it, it makes sense. And you, know, you and I were just talking with Alan McCauley uh, on, on the last uh, podcast, and you know, you can be both a buyer and a seller at the same time. And yeah. even if even if the Flyers were to go rebuild, you still need some veterans on the team. You can't go all young, um, you know, if you're if you're looking to get on the right track. And if they're moving, you know, if they're moving um, Braun, you're missing, you're losing something there. And we've talked about Ristolainen. So, you know, I, I think just to bring in another guy you can plug into your top four at least, and at least for the, the short term, you know, they, they can put him up top of pro round, maybe just for, for the rest of the season or whatever. But it, to me, to me, it's the kind of move that makes sense if you're, if you're looking not to do a tear down and rebuild, but if you are looking towards the aggressive retool mode, which has been the indication what they're trying to do, that would that would go hand in hand with that kind of a strategy. It coupled with the fact that if Ryan Ellis next year does go down for a period of time, his absence doesn't sink you because you have a guy that can elevate to that role, um, even more capable at. At elevating than Justin Braun, who's a third pair at this point in his yeah. career. Petrie's a bona fide uh, number two pair and could certainly fill that void for a period of time. Um, you know, the, the contract and the age is, you know, well, they're just getting older. At first blush, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about this. And then kind of really thought about it. And I'm going, you know, that the element of one player, and Chuck Fletcher used that term when I spoke to him, one player shouldn't sink our season. And I think they're building protections for that. And I don't think Fridge puts that in there uh, with the intent of being a drive-by, even though it was. But um, there's probably some smoke to that situation, I would imagine, if uh, if he put it out there. I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. And also, if you do that now, it's a piece of business you don't have to do in the offseason, yeah. A. And yeah. B, it kind of lets you know known commodities of what you have going into the offseason so you can attack different areas throughout the offseason. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, the Flyers have a lot of a lot of blue line issues. They have to think about, um, 
you know, uh, apart from the right-handed guys, right? Because you have Travis Sanheim a year from now is an unrestricted free agent. Yep. You're looking to either extend him or this would be the time to move him this offseason because then the team would get a, a full year, you know. So, you know, so there's a decision to be made there too. You're talking about most of your blue line, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Yanda won't be here next year and hopefully, uh, hopefully Cam York is ready to step up into a role. You don't, you know, you don't know that Zamula is going to be ready right off the bat a year for you know, even going into next season. So there's a lot of pieces to evaluate when you can add a veteran piece where you know what the, you know, it's a fixed cost for however, you know, for whatever period of time, uh, you know, there, there's, there's just something to be, there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, you're not getting a Norris trophy kind of guy, but you didn't get that with, uh, didn't get that with, you know, Niskan and Braun coming in a couple of years, either, either ago, you know, a couple of years ago, either. And, you know, they served their role well. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it makes some sense. You know, it's, uh, it, it's some food for thought. Well, not for nothing. If they trade Justin Braun at the deadline, I fully anticipate they will. I think he's a player that a lot of teams could use. A lot of teams can fit from a salary standpoint. I want the Flyers to re-sign him in the offseason to be the third pair of right side defenseman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you could certainly do a lot worse. Yeah. Right? You could certainly do a lot worse. If, you, if you're not bringing in a, a younger right side guy, I mean, you, you could you could do a lot worse than Justin Braun. Um, you know, I, I I'm interested to see how things play out with on Ristolainen's front too. I you know I, I he could do pretty well this off season, uh, particularly if he has a good playoff for somebody. So you know he might price himself right out, and and it doesn't sound like he's inclined right now to to sign an extension. Um, you know he would be. You're not getting him at a discount. There's there's no hometown discount here. If he does ultimately sign, you know it, it, it's at full market price, and I know that would give some people pause. But but uh, I, I think you saw his value, you know, not just yesterday, and some, some of the other recent games too, because I think yeah. I think he's dialed it up, you know, another level. So, you know, I I certainly would, you know, I I wasn't surprised when Chuck Fletcher said he had interest in resigning Ristolainen, but if he came, but if he if, if you can't get it done, uh, then then I agree with the other podcast we did recently where we were talking to Craig Button. You know, you have to move him. Yeah, and so, recoup what you can. And, and recoup as much as you can. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, I yeah, any of those guys, yeah, that's the thing too sometimes when you're, when you're looking at this player and that player, I know sometimes it's easy to go, oh, this guy stinks. And it's really all about the pot. It's really all about fit and fit – been including you know does the does the cap it and term work yeah. you know th- there are plenty of teams where Ristolainen could help take them to another level right you don't want him on your top pair he's not your sh- top main shutdown guy you, we saw that you know Buffalo put him in a tough spot with that and you know and, and whatever you, you know he hasn't been a he hasn't been a, a world beater here he's just he's played his role really well and uh, you know he's he's a good player for that middle pair kind of a role but a number four role but. You know, but I mean, but there are situations where he could go to where he could be a, a big asset to a team in a playoff chase. Yeah. Same same thing with same thing with Justin Braun. Same thing with other players you could say in the lineup. It's really just it's really just about what are you, you know, what are you expecting from them in your lineup, and what do you have around them that that either complements what they do well or can offset some of the things that they they're not as strong at. So, you know, um, you know, you you can have any number of guys who are bona fide NHL players. But maybe they're a little too high 
for an ideal spot in the lineup where, you know, I think, I think that's the case with Braun this year. He's not a top pairing guy, certainly at this point of his career. Third pairing is ideal, brings leadership, brings penalty killing. Flyers will have no issues moving him. You won't get a ton in return, but you'll, you know, you'll get something. There'll be interest. And, uh, you know, there'll be any number of guys that the Flyers were inclined to move and, you know, that they could, they could move. I mean, they could move most of the guys I think who are going to be unrestricted or, or said even, you know, the, Konechny would draw interest depending on what the trade is, right? And Dreger um, just mentioned that's a team that a player that he could see Col- or not or Toronto having right. full value for, right? Makes sense. And you know you yeah, and then you you know if Konechny goes a while where he's not scoring goals but he's doing other things, setting up some goals, getting other people's skin. Well, they have enough piece. They have enough pieces there who can score that it's that it's not the end of the world because there's plenty of things that he does do well. So. You know, I, I mean, it's really it really all comes back to the question of roster building. I mean, the Flyers mix still is not right. They still have to tinker with the mix um, and in some cases probably make some significant changes to the mix. Whereas some other teams that are maybe a piece away can find a piece on the Flyers that would fit in with their group. And yeah. and it, it really reflects more on the group than on the player. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is. If you don't re-sign Ristolainen, you're looking for a replacement to bring a lot of those elements that he brings. You're going to be looking to get that this offseason in some way, shape, or form. Um, question is, can you find it, find the right fit, and find the right price tag as well? That speaks to that puzzle that we talk about when roster building that with the, the cap element of it, the hockey element of it, skill element, and fit. And do the pieces fit together from a hockey standpoint? You know, one of the guys, we were having this conversation the other day, I won't say with who, but maybe there'd be some interest in a depth power play defenseman like Keith Yandel. But maybe the one thing that's scaring teams is they don't want to be, they don't want to acquire the player and then have to scratch him. Yeah. Would he be more movable if the Flyers scratched him for a game at this point? Possibly. Possibly. It's a weird thought process, but I think I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I possibly so. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, one of the, I mean, yeah, one of the disappointments this season, and it's hard to say how much it's just been the power play in general. I was expecting a little more from Yandel on the power play, just in terms, or and early in the season he was doing it too. Yeah, and it's like okay, you know, the Flyers haven't had this kind of distributor at, at the point in quite some time, and then, you know, and he he looked, you know, like he like he turned back the clock briefly, right? He yeah. looked like the Keith Yandel who 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 was one of the yeah yeah. Refresh one of the top power play defensemen in the NHL over the course of his career. Whether you know whether you like him as a two-way player or not, you you can't take away how good he's been on the power play over the course of his career. So maybe if you put him with the right group, right, then uh, you know then then he could have another surge with somebody. Uh, you know, and and uh, I mean late in his career, you know, make make a push for a cup. He, he came close in New York once, but. Uh, you know, but it, it's—I don't—I mean, it, I guess it's something to think of. I mean, you wouldn't—you wouldn't be getting any great value in return. It also depends on the player too, because he's another guy who would have options just just based on you know, he took he took minimal money and a one-year deal, but he he did he did ask for the ability if if he's moved to have the you know the the right to say where he goes if he if he goes so. Yeah. I would say more likely than not, he finishes the season here and then evaluates, you know, evaluates his career. But, you know, I mean, sometimes you have a guy who looks like he's toast and he goes somewhere else and he contributes in a playoff run. I mean, 
let's, you know, if you go back a season ago, um, you know, the Flyers got nothing out of Eric Gustafson. He was a bust. Yeah. And, goes to Montreal and <laughs> goes to Montreal and all of a sudden in the playoffs, you know, wasn't wasn't helping them as a two way guy, but all of a sudden he's, he contributed some big points in the power play for them. Yeah. So, you know, so you know, stranger things have happened. Yeah, and yeah, Gustafson couldn't defend his way out of a wet paper bag, that's for sure. Uh, but but he did have offensive elements to his game. Um, last thing, Bill, um, and you alluded to it, we had Craig Button on the Stick to Hockey live show, and you and I spoke with him. And I think Flyer fans just need to kind of get their head around the fact that scorched earth is not happening. You know, Craig talked about it. That's not the tact he would take, and it's not the tact a lot of people would take because, it, frankly – and he gave some examples as well, used Edmonton, who we'll see coming up on Tuesday, hasn't worked for the most part for most teams in that situation. I mean, you kind of cite, you know, he cited Tampa Bay as a team that kind of went that direction, didn't work, and then recoiled, where got Hedman and Stamkos, and still didn't get them to the promised land until eventually they provided tremendous depth around them. And that became, by the way, of drafting Nikita Kucherov you know, not at the top of a draft and Braden point and adding those elements of Barkley Goudreau and Blake Coleman and Pat Maroon. Um, I think fans just kind of need to get their head around that. This is not going to be a scorched earth. It's not going to be a total tear down and rebuild and got to kind of have to just, you know, that that is what it is at this point. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's, there's much possibility of a total tear down. Now, if, you know, if the flyers go through an off season where, uh, expectations going to next year, and it's another disappointing year. For one thing, you'd see another general manager, let's be honest. Yep. Right. If, if you have a third straight year like that, it'll be an entirely new regime. And uh, at that point, maybe you are looking at a teardown when, you know, you're drafting the top of a, it's supposed to be an outstanding draft class. Funny thing is, next year's draft always looks better than this year's draft. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, there are always guys who don't take that next step that that or or, what, or whatever. But you know, but uh, I mean, I you know, going into this year, we talked about a worst case scenario. What we might be looking at, you know, if if nothing went right and virtually nothing went right this year, right? I I think that uh, you know, but I but I still don't think they're at the the total teardown point if they you know if they make moves that don't work again and, and other guys don't step up and keep another year out and you know, then that'll be an unpleasant conversation to have at that time but i i think that as bad as the season has been and it, it has been because truly over the last 41 games you know it's been as bad as it was in 06 07 with a with a more talented group on paper yeah but but uh you know there have been a lot, a lot that's gone into that. Um, so they, they'll be aggressive. They, you know, they'll, they'll see what they can add. They'll, they'll draft, they'll add some assets, but you know, but we're not looking, we're not looking at total teardown. They're not looking in that direction. And, and Craig button pointed out what the, uh, what the realities of a total teardown usually are. And it means usually means a very long time waiting to, to be uh, up, even up in the playoffs again. That's just, that's just how it goes more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. Bill, well done as always. And uh, another edition of uh, uh, Bill Meltzer's Monday Visit is in the books. And uh, we'll bring you another brand new episode tomorrow. And that's be the one where we get to hear from Fire's Director of Analytics, Ian Anderson. So everybody, thanks for listening. Enjoy your Monday as best you can. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on another brand new Flyers Daily. Bye.